Welcome to Healthy Vision Talk Radio, the podcast for people in search of a physician with alternative solutions for their eye problems. From the best-selling, award-winning, world's-only homeopathic ophthalmologist, here's your host, Dr. Edward Kondrat. Welcome to Healthy Vision. This is your host, Dr. Edward Kondrat, and I want to thank you so much for joining me on this radio broadcast, and I'm here every Sunday to bring you information that can help improve your health and improve your vision. And I want to share with you something. The other day, I was on Google searching for medicine and religion, and I came up with an article that upset me quite a bit. And the article stated how the religious right is interfering in medicine and putting patients at great risk. And the reason that why that upset me is uh, a couple of years ago, I met uh, a brilliant uh, naturopathic doctor, uh, Dr. Charles McWilliams, who is the grandmaster of the Sacred Medical Order of Hope. And I really admire Dr. McWilliams because he is bringing back monastic medicine. I, I believe that um, religion and medicine should work together. So as my guest this evening, I have Dr. Charles McWilliams with me. Dr. McWilliams, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you, Dr. Condra. It's a pleasure to be on with you. And uh, I guess it was two years ago, I joined the Sacred Medical Order of Hope. And uh, it's kind of opened my eyes, and I really want to congratulate you because I guess there's always been a part of me that felt that religion and spirituality should be part of medicine, but unfortunately, our medical education takes God out of the equation, um, and you know we become so academic and immersed with the sciences and pharmacology and surgery that we forget about the true healing power that our bodies do have. So I wonder if you could share with us I guess to start a little bit about your journey as a naturopathic doctor and the founder of the Sacred Medical Order of Hope, what, what inspired you to do this and what, what do you feel is, is lacking in, in traditional medicine? Well, I guess we could say that my, my journey in all of this, uh, aside from you know being trained in basic medical sciences at the University of North Carolina, which is... Uh, my academic career began was the ignorance of, of history of medicine, which is generally not taught in medical schools at all anymore, to, uh, or scarcely. Uh, and the fact that when you look at the phenomena of healing itself, uh, it's just you know something simple as as a bacterial infection in the human body. Uh, how can you possibly accredit? you know, something like penicillin for, for curing the patient when uh, overwhelmingly the science itself points to the fact that it's the immune system of the individual that, that cures uh, the, the patient. Uh, yes, the antibiotic is a great assist for that. There's no question it takes a, a huge, uh, you know, load off the immune system. But ultimately, the resolution of the disease is up to the individual's immune system. And... The antibiotic is only prescribed for, you know, seven to 10 to 14 days. So how can you take, you know, faith out of the equation altogether whatsoever uh, when we know 
know so little about the immune system to date. So I guess that's probably uh, what, you know, started me down the down the path of questioning my professors of you know my professor of microbiology was just you know basically i presented questions to her she just almost stood mute like i can't answer that you know well <laughs> okay <laughs> so uh the the history of medicine itself obviously goes back to to faith-based medicine that's that's where it all began and yes medical science has made great strides in the areas of infectious disease recognizing that microbes are, are very much a, a part of all of that but again the the healing and the resolution of, of of any illness still goes back to faith in god and 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 a, a whole huge domain that we know very little about to this day so i take it that you disagree with that article that states that <clears throat> um, religion is seriously interfering with medicine and putting patients at risk. I guess you agree with me that uh, religion oh, oh, should be uh, a strong aspect of the healing process and physicians should embrace religion and spiritual beliefs. Yes, when, when you sent me the link a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I sort of fumed at the, at the ears the same as you reading it, but then I also recognize that you know, this is a young doctor who's very uh, just trained in one aspect of medicine. He has uh, probably very little clinical experience under his belt, and you know he's on a he's on a temper tantrum. You know, speaking his mind uh, on on a one-sided issue, and it's it's only uh, like you and me. You know, we're in our upper years. We've seen uh, I've I've like you. I've seen well over a hundred thousand patients in my practice. And that tends to humble you, you know, over time. So <laughs> this is obviously coming from a young, you know, uh, rebel of the, of the, uh, as they call them, the, 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 the Taliban medical science fraternity, uh, speaking his piece, and we get your piece, and uh, you'll grow up as time goes on, and you'll, you know, you'll meet your, your limitations. Uh, as Clint Eastwood, my, one of my favorite actors, states, man's got to know his limitations. Mm -hmm. So, I can remember you know, yes. my, my upbringing. Um, I had a very spiritual upbringing, being raised Catholic and altar boy, and um, you know, going going to church and having a strong Christian belief. But then, when I went to medical school, I, I lost that belief because you know you're just so immersed with science, and you were almost ashamed to talk about spirituality and religion uh, to your patients. Uh, but I guess you know, since I met you. Uh, you've actually given me the courage now to uh, uh, bring that into the conversation with the patient. And surprisingly, in my practice, uh, I'm seeing people that have a strong spiritual belief, and they welcome my openness and uh, me sharing with them that a spiritual belief and prayer can have a positive effect on their outcome. So I think that this has really changed uh, the way that I'm practicing medicine, and I think my re my results are improving. Yes, uh, your your results improve, and and not only that, just just by the aura that you that you that you, that we all put out, uh, we will tend to attract more of those kinds of patients to us because that's something that they're that they're needing at that time. You know, so 
it, it's it's a reciprocal it's a reciprocal relationship. Well, there's so many things that I want to talk to you about, and I want to really get all this information into this into this show. Um, I think the listeners should visit uh, your website smoch.org, the Sacred Medical Order of the Church of Hope, that has a lot of good information, and also. Um, I want to talk with you a little bit about the history of medicine and religion, because I was really amazed that the early history of medicine and religion had a, a strong union, and uh, that when the, the physician couldn't help the patient, it was usually the spiritual healer that, that did the work. And there was harmony and unity in the two practices. There wasn't a schism like we have today or somebody commenting that the religious right is interfering with medicine and hurting the medical profession. Um, so your comment on that. Well, absolutely. Uh, in regards to Western medicine, it was always faith-based. Um, you know, with the, the beginning of the Christian era, the, the, the first hospitals were, were Christian charitable hospitals. And the, the you know it was the monasteries that were preserving the books and the only place to get any any credible medical training to speak of was was young men and women that that went to the monasteries because that's where the books were so uh, prayer faith spiritual healing dietary hygiene uh, bathing uh, these were all part of the healing process and surgery of course was considered a separate field uh, as it was well into the uh, uh, up until the Second World War, uh, the surgical practice was considered a, a separate discipline to the practice of medicine. So faith in the use of herbs and, and, and medicine and, and hygiene were all one discipline, so to speak. And everybody's lost track of that, that, that they don't realize the, the historical underpinnings of medicine go back to, to all of these, these ramifications. Well, we're coming up to a break right now and with me folks is Dr. Charles McWilliams and we come back I want to ask Dr. McWilliams to share with us the early history of medicine and spirituality and religion so we'll be right back after this break uh, welcome back to Healthy with Vision and with me is Dr. Charles uh, McWilliams and Dr. McWilliams let's talk a little bit about the early history which I find fascinating the Egyptian culture uh, the Greek, the Mesopotamian eras, how religion and medicine was, are so closely knitted. Yes. Well, uh, you want you want to go early, early. Uh, Papyrus Ebers is, is uh, the earliest that we know of Egyptian medicine, which uh, is dated around 1500 B.C., and there's some interesting documentaries you can actually see on TV about the uh, sophistication of, of, of the Egyptians. It's just, it's just astounding. And, of course, you know, Egypt was uh, very much immersed in religious-based practices. But at the same time, they were doing incredibly sophisticated uh, eye surgery, as you, as you well appreciate. They knew how to transplant the cornea. Uh, they understood about what cataracts were, uh, uh, the occlusion of lenses. They developed a surgical procedures for that. 
but at the same time, uh, the, uh, the faith and the healing was aligned with uh, the use of herbal practice. And then uh, a thousand years goes by, and then the next uh, epoch that we had was, was interestingly two developments, one in the uh, east in China, which was the uh, Su Wen, which was the earliest book of medicine that we know of Chinese culture, uh, where natural causes were permeated in, into the medical practice because part of that it was you know pretty much believed that all disease came from evil spirits and the suwen uh delineated didn't didn't exclude uh evil spirits as being part of of uh, the causation of, of disease but also showed that the evil winds so to speak were also uh, part of this complex and those were weather patterns and the disorders they described was pretty much uh, infectious disease that we would call today uh, cholera and typhus, uh, diarrheal diseases. And then at that same period, interestingly enough, about 500 BC, of course, the Hippocratic Corpus came out and the school of Hippocrates was formed on the island of Kos. And Hippocrates, of course, was the father of Western medicine, stating that uh, yes, there are spiritual causes of disease, but there at the same time are natural causes uh, based on dietary factors, which he was a very strong advocate of the use of nutrition. And of course, infectious disease and as well as trauma. You know, obviously when you fall down and break a bone, there wasn't any evil spirit uh, at direct cause. It was essentially just a natural phenomenon. So this is this is where medicine was merged with spirituality and, and faith-based medicine combined. And that, of course, 500 years later with the advent of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, medicine and faith became one. So Jesus uh, brought to us the, the promise of the kingdom and uh, righteous living and treatment of fellow man in, in proper ways and, and following uh, the natural law of harmony of the of the human body, as well as social and behavioral behavioral aspects, but at the same time didn't discount the fact that you know herbs were used, as well as incense and healing waters, and hygiene and fasting. So that is really where we we got uh, into the development then of monastic medicine once Constantine. Uh, liberated Christianity and declared it part of the Roman state. Uh, Christian medicine, hospitals, hospitality, welfare, hygiene, nursing, all of this was one harbored within the monasteries. Right. I know I said a lot all at once, but uh, <laughs> in a nutshell, it was the very early history of medicine. But all this, uh, but all this information is important because I think we have to look at our past and to see how uh, well uh, religion and medicine work together. And um, I think it's important that we kind of uh, rekindle, rekindle that spirit. You know, and, and I want to thank you for kind of lighting a spark under me. But doing some research, I came across there's a conference on medicine and religion. This is going to be April 13th through 15th in St. Louis, Missouri, and I've submitted an abstract for this conference. I'm currently writing a book called Embracing Visual Loss with Spiritual Insights. I'm writing this with a patient of mine who's a minister uh, who uh, 
had uh, a miraculous improvement of her vision based on her spiritual belief. And um, I was surprised that uh, there are many physicians that attend this meeting and they listen to a couple of podcasts where they really bring uh, their spiritual belief into their medical practice, actually uh, praying with patients before surgery and, uh, you know, worshiping uh, right, right in the office, which I think is really remarkable. And it just gave me such a, such a good feeling. And, of course, your work, uh, you know, you're, you're trying to bring back uh, the monastic medicine uh, through your organization. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about kind of your mission. Yes, well, the, the mission of the Knights of Hope is to save monastic medicine from, from being lost. Uh, if you Google the word monastic medicine, you scarcely get 10 or 12 you know, web pages up on Google, and it just seems to wholly disappear. And I've gone to great lengths within our organization. We publish now eight books, uh, seven of which are devoted to uh, not only just the history of medicine, uh, particularly in the uh, Christian domain or the, uh, the domain of Europe, which we call Christendom, but also nursing and, as well as pharmacy. Uh, there's a huge history of medicine in Europe uh, that came over from the Levant, and of course it was contributed to by the Arabs and the Persians, and these were all sequestered into the monasteries, into the, uh, the great books of medicine. And there's a, a wealth of information there and going to be lost if, if somebody doesn't save it. So that is our, our, our focal mission is to, and as I, I've stated many times, I believe that monastic medicine should be declared by UNESCO uh, within the United Nations as an intangible cultural heritage. It's just so much as if, if, if China can claim acupuncture as their cultural heritage, well, uh, Christendom and monastic medicine equally deserves to be preserved as an intangible cultural heritage as well. The books, the textbooks should be preserved. It should be categorized as a, as a branch of medicine that was uh, flourished for more than 1,000 years. And uh, the very word hospital that we have today is genuinely a Christian tradition, hospitality and ho the hospital, and of course the, the Knights of St. John, the hospitalers, as well as the Knights of Lazarus, uh, maintain to this day in Jerusalem, the world's largest hospital, which is being excavated archeologically by the University of Tel Aviv. Uh, you can Google this on, on, on the uh, web. And they have confirmed as was rumored for many years that the hospital of St. John, after the First Crusade, grew to over 10,000 beds. That would be the world's largest hospital, never been equal to this day. If you can imagine the gargantuan size uh, in those days of architecture, what 10,000 beds would look like. It's, it's, it's absolutely an enormous uh, complex of patients to take care of. And that's what the Order of St. John did. Now, I wanted to ask you, you have a very busy medical practice. And I wonder if you could share with the listeners how, uh, how, how you practice medicine, how, how 
this approach has changed for you? Well, on the surface, I, you know, my, my daughters went to medical school on Nevis, where, where I live, uh, at the Medical University of Americas. And while they're in medical school, I had, you know, quite a few professors picked with interest about this uh, herb doctor over in Newcastle, as they call me on the island. Uh, they would come and sit with me, and they, they, after a morning of sitting with me, they say, you know, you really don't do anything very much different than a normal uh, primary care physician, except that uh, you avoid the use of drugs and you, you uh, use herbs. And of course, with being Nevis in the Caribbean, it's still very much a Christian island. We, we do partake in prayer or at least uh, confirm our faith uh, in the healing process in one way or the other. So my practice is generally primary care. I do everything a normal doctor does. I listen to the heart. I listen to the patient's symptoms. Well, you know, we're coming up, uh, to, I do another, use that. We're coming up to another break, uh, Dr. McWilliams. And when we come back, let's uh, uh, talk more about your organization, because I'm hoping that we have a lot of health practitioners that are listening, and maybe we got their curiosity. Uh, welcome back to Healthy Vision. This is your host, Dr. Edward Condrat, and with me is Dr. Charles McWilliams, and we're discussing monastic medicine. And Dr. McWilliams, I hope that there are health practitioners that are listening to the show and medical doctors and nurses that you have, have uh, piqued their curiosity. So I wonder if you could mm -hmm. share with the listeners how they can get more information a little bit about your programs and the next step to take. Yes, well, one can go to the Sacred Medical Order Knights of Hope website, which is S-M-O-C-H. We call that SMOC, uh, org, And they can look through the uh, website. It's, it is quite large. I admit there's quite a bit of material there, but that's because we have a lot to offer. Uh, primarily, we are a uh, educational venue-type organization. Uh, we have lots of courses on the web uh, in the areas of natural medicine and monastic medicine. That's part of the membership program. That's one of the uh, member benefits is, is partaking of our educational platforms. Uh, as far as membership as an organization, we also offer a protectorate to our uh, members because we ordain our members as deacons in the church as healers and in those areas where there is a sensitivity or uh, in this case the article you mentioned an actual uh, medical scientific Taliban <laughs> wants to scrutinize the scope of practice uh, we uh, give education as to how to protect yourself in that format because you become a minister of our church and in the United States, there's ample uh, separation of church and state, and there's ways that you can demarcate your practice so that uh, you don't have to be concerned about talking about faith to, to your patients that are in your practice. So that uh, gives you that area of protection. And also as a priest, uh, we also point out there's priest-penitent privilege, which means that anything you discuss with your patient becomes privileged conversation. It's not admissible evidence in court. Uh, so therefore, there's no issue to talk about uh, in terms of discussing these matters with your, with your patients because you have the same privilege as any lawyer 
or as any priest, uh, to discuss private matters. So we, we educate our members on how to uh, use those dynamics, and they are simple steps. There's nothing, you don't need 10-page uh, lawyer contracts to do all this, but there are very critical steps that are essential to demarcate that area in your practice mutually exclusive, so to speak. So that's another member benefits. And of course, we hold uh, congresses once a year where you get to meet all of people like us that are uh, very unique to the practice in the field, to say the least. And that's another member benefit that we offer. But I think you're looking for uh, practitioners who just don't want um, the, the security or the protection. You're truly looking for physicians that um, have, a, have a higher calling, that really feel that uh, spirituality and medicine should be combined and uh, should be part of the practice. And I really enjoyed uh, one of the requirements is to go through some coursework. And when I became interested, I was required to go through some coursework, and it really helped me understand the mission of the organization and also help me understand that this just really isn't uh, a recent idea. This has a long history, a very strong history of monastic medicine. And uh, it's just this resurgence is just wonderful because more and more physicians are becoming frustrated with the practice of medicine. I think a physician no longer can practice medicine. A physician is essentially a technician for the insurance companies and for their medical board. They're told what to do. There's no creativity left afforded to the doctor. And I think once uh, you ex explore this option, you can truly practice medicine as, as it was designed. Exactly, and and by, by studying the history of it, 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 it bonds it to you, it, it just, uh, Makes it makes it part of your soul, so to speak. That you you realize you're part of a, a long lineage of practitioners, and it's really, as my books of medicine point out, the greatest minds and the discoverers of of many of the attributes that we enjoy as physicians were all strong, extremely strong faith-based practitioners. Uh, to you know, to look at uh, Carlos Finier. Uh, Finley in, in Cuba to, uh, you know, risk his life, expose his own body to uh, a whole night of thousands of mosquitoes to, to discover the, uh, the viral uh, contaminant of yellow fever. Uh, even his research lab assistant died during the process. Uh, it just really uh, brings back a very core, strong faith within one of, 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 of more than just the faith base itself, it, it's, it's really a, a very strong belief in God and, and what we need to do for humanity. So uh, it's, I just feel grateful in my life to have taken this path to be part of that lineage of, of people of that strong fortitude. When you were telling that story, I was thinking of Samuel Hahnemann when he risked his own life taking this in Kona bark to do the first uh, malarial approving to, you know, uncover uh, the secrets of homeopathy, like cures like. And that's, I think that's one of the reasons why I like homeopathy, because I think homeopathy is kind of a, a spiritual approach to medicine. 
you know, you just don't treat the disease. You look at uh, the emotional aspect, the struggles of the patient, and you combine it with the physical symptoms and you truly treat the person and not the disease. And I know that homeopathy is a really big part of your practice. Oh, yes. I, I, I'm like you. I just, I just love homeopathy. It's, 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 it's everything that you do, basically, uh, on top of being a physician, is you've always got these remedies in mind and the, the uh, emotional state of the patient and how, that it, or how much of that is an impediment to their healing process. Well, um, I wonder if you could, for the health practitioners that are listening out there, I wonder if you can give us some advice on how to take the next step. You know, if you're, you know, trained in traditional medicine and you never thought about the spiritual aspect of healing, or maybe you have a strong spiritual belief, but you're afraid to bring it into your practice, what, what advice uh, do you give health practitioners? Well, I think, you know, like, like yourself, uh, go online and, and buy our book, Sanctified Healing, which is sort of a summary of the, of the whole scope of, of what we do, and see if that rings true to you. And if, if that book rings, that is what Smock is all about. That is what we do. Uh, is wrapped up in that one book. I think you would agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to read that, digest it. If it feels good, we've got several other books you can read. Uh, that's that's part of our order. Uh, and then you can just simply request an application and, and join us. And they can. Order in fact, the book, we have a. They can order the book "Sanctified Healing" from your website. Yes, they can get it on the website, or they can even go to Amazon and just type in Sanctified Healing, Sacred Medical Order, or my name, McWilliams, and it'll come right up and get a copy and uh, take a weekend to digest a book like that. And if it, if it rings in your heart, uh, we're, we're here to, to give you a lot more. And also, if uh, a listener uh, wants to expand their medical knowledge and, and get a degree, in natural medicine or homeopathy. Uh, Dr. McWilliams has a natural medicine, medical school on the island of Nevis, but most of the coursework can be done online. Isn't that correct? Yes, yes. We, uh, we're a postgraduate school, and most, most of our students are uh, practitioners and healers, a lot of medical doctors, chiropractors, podiatrists, Acupuncturists. We have, we have a lot of we have over 800 students currently on on the on the web, and we hold regular classes on Nevis uh, three four times a year, and classes here in the uh, states. In fact, we got one coming up on November 3rd uh, on electrodermal screening, as well as an investiture on Saturday uh, here in Tampa. If anybody wants to join right in. Where they they can do it next month. Now we're coming up to another break, but when we come back, I want to talk about our exciting plans for developing an eye clinic on the island of Nevis. Healthy Vision, and this is your host, Dr. Edward Kondrat. With me is Charles McWilliams, and we'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to Healthy Vision, and I visited the island of Nevis and. 
just such a delightful island and the energy on that island. And I was just so impressed, Dr. McWilliams, of your facility, your accommodations, and what you're doing on the island. And uh, we had this idea of, of developing an eye clinic, uh, incorporating you know, a traditional and alternative eye care. And I'm a member of the College of Syntonics, and my goodness, I sent out a letter talking about my, my plans, and we got about 20 eye doctors who are interested in taking part of this venture. So it's kind of exciting. Well, they'll certainly have a lot of fun, and they'll meet a lot of very, very nice people. Uh, as you know, Nevis is a very one of the most peaceful islands of all the Caribbean, and we certainly do need good eye care uh, as any, any small island. So it'll be a wonderful addition to, to helping the people do this. So uh, let's talk a little bit about your plans for the clinic, uh, because you're planning to expand uh, not only an eye clinic, but a lot of other services. Yes, our, our, our target goal, uh, and I have the, the full assistance and backing, as you know, of, of former Prime Minister Perry of the island, is to get an urgent care center, a U.S. Uh, standard urgent care center on the island. The tourism industry desperately needs this kind of care, as do all of the residents that live on the island. So we got the property, we've got the permission from government, we have everything in place, and uh, we have now five uh, emergency care physicians that are volunteering. One is already uh, prepared to move to Nevis. Uh, he's already secured a piece of property on the island. He's moving to Nevis in December. So we're on our way to set up this urgent care center, which will become a very important facet of the island's health care, as well as its economy. So the addition of an eye care clinic will be even more spectacular. Uh, it will give people more avenues for, for getting better, better medical care. Yeah, because one thing that we're looking at doing is doing things like uh, vision therapy, helping to develop uh, the reading skills of the um, island population, helping young, young children uh, develop these skills, which are so essential for, for learning and for advancement. Since I've been involved with some of these organizations, it's shocking uh, the number of uh, kids that just have poor reading skills because they're not using their eyes properly because of eye strain, you know, the wrong spectacle correction, many, many issues, including, you know, uh, poor diet and nutrition. Um, so I think yes. it's, it's so important to look at these uh, underlying causes and, uh, you know, educate, educate the population so they can achieve the best uh, possible vision. Um, that's that's the greatest aspect I like about it because, you know, so many of these clinics, uh, they, they come and go off the islands and doctors come down and they do a great service, but they, they don't leave anything for the community. They just bring drugs or they bring uh, a surgical surgical resolution to problems, but they don't train the teachers, the nurses, uh, the concerned parents, uh, they don't get the education that's needed to perpetuate and improve the overall health of the entire island. And that's what's so exciting about it for me. Uh, Susan and I, we kind of labeled the, the vitamin C doctors of Nevis because it was Lee that brought uh, the awareness of just a simple uh, aspect of, of vitamin C to the, to the dietary. 
And now you can go to any drugstore or any grocery store on Nevis, and everybody's selling vitamin C. And I attribute that to uh, Susan's and I efforts for bringing that awareness to the whole community. So we've done a lot just for the immune system of the island. And then I think homeopathy is a wonderful way to develop an affordable um, health care system as the homeopathic remedies are, are so inexpensive. And uh, once uh, you have your basic remedy set, you can very easily dupl duplicate these remedies for pennies. There's not this exorbitant cost that so many of the pharmaceutical drugs have. And uh, they can be so exactly. effective for treating, for treating many, many conditions. Um, Absolutely. Uh, before we come to an end, I want to talk a little bit about microcurrent because you're, you know, one of the pioneers in microcurrent, and you were a featured speaker at the microcurrent conference in Florida this year. And uh, mm -hmm. microcurrent is a really big part of your practice, and I just wanted you to share some of uh, your experiences with microcurrent. Well, we. Uh practice a lot of microcurrents in the form of transdermal massage uh, that's in our claim to fame, so to speak. And as a result of that, we use microcurrent as an assistant to physical therapy. And we treat a lot of aches and pains, uh, inordinate amounts of conditions, so Bell's palsy, trigeminal neuralgia, migraine and cluster headaches, um, a lot of arthritis. We use microcurrent for just a, a whole spectrum of disorders that, that walk in. And as you know, there's so much application of microcurrent because it assists the healing process. There's scarcely anything that you can't use it for. Um, we find that by using it as a physical therapy modality, it greatly accelerates uh, healing resolutions for just a, a very wide scope of problems. And it's and it's inexpensive. It's it's just it's a matter of time of using it. Now, do you feel that a lot of these subtle energy systems like homeopathy and microcurrent are in a way, kind of uh, spiritual ways to heal or ways to kind of potentiate the vital force or natural spiritual energy of the body? Well, very much so. And as, as you know, that was the thrust of my last lecture at your wonderful conference just last month. Uh, that we, we have to realize that, that the, the, the concept of ether uh, very much envelops uh, homeopathic practices, as, as does Reiki, as does uh, hands-on healing, as does holy water, as does homeopathy. The electricity is a very good carrier of that uh, process. So uh, as you're doing the microcurrent treatment, there's uh, carrier ways that you can you can layer onto the uh, equipment that you're using currently, and potentiate all of the effects that you're doing. It's it's a rather remarkable uh, concept and observation that I've been doing for uh, now going on 30 years. So in other words, uh, prayer and positive affirmations during a microcurrent therapy will uh, increase the effectiveness. Yes, it does. Yeah, and during your open care, you talked about the the work of Amoto, where he looked at how prayer uh, and positive affirmations affect the water structure, which was truly phenomenal, mm -hmm. and how negative thoughts and negative emotions can adversely affect water structure. So we don't realize how powerful our thoughts are, 
And I guess uh, that's one thing that really gets me going is when doctors take, uh, take away the hope of patients when they tell them nothing can be done. Uh, that is just horrible because that negative energy often just leads to their demise. I think there, there's always, there's always should be hope. And, uh, there's always hope. And, and I always tell my patients, be optimistic, prepare for a miracle. Yes, absolutely. There's nothing more destructive than to give a patient a, a, a terminal prognostication because in the, in the act of prognosticating, you are also medicating. <laughs> right. Well, I want to thank you so much um, for taking time, uh, Dr. McWilliams, um, and thank you so much for your endless work in bringing monastic medicine back to life. Um, I think you're going to find that there's so many physicians out there who are ready to make a change, and I think what's happening to medicine right now is causing a lot of physicians to shift and look at the practice of medicine in a different, different way. So the best way to get more information is go to your website, smoch.org. And any yes. closing comments uh, for the listeners? Well, I want to thank you for all the wonderful work that you do. And, and I, I know the, the, the rounds of patients you treated over the years and then also organizing the microcurrent conference and giving an opportunity for Positions to, to meet others with, with new modalities and uh, new hope and new vistas for all of us to help patients more in their endeavors and their problems. And I just want to thank you for that because we all, we're all dedicated to this. This is a, a life process we've chosen. And that's the joy and the reward of the work that we do. Okay, thank you so much. And this is your host, Dr. Edward Kondrat, wishing all of you good health and clear vision. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. If you'd like to learn more about alternative eye treatments, access free reports, or subscribe to Dr. Kondrat's newsletter, visit us at healingtheeye.com. If you enjoyed today's show, please write a review. We love hearing from listeners. To hear more episodes about alternative eye treatments, click subscribe and download all of our previous shows. We wish you good health and clear vision.